He's not content with just understanding the Bible in English. He has an incredible skill, passion, and determination to unearth the original meaning of those biblical texts. When I asked Natalie what his educational background was, she told me he has a degree and a master's in biblical stuff. And we're truly blessed to have him serve us as a gifted communicator and share his biblical stuff with us this morning. So please join me as we welcome Andrew Bunt to come and preach. I do like biblical stuff. That is totally true. I can confirm that completely. But today, before we get to the biblical stuff, there's one other thing I want to do first, actually. That's just to tell you a bit more about this uh, praise party you've heard talked about for a few weeks now, to fill you in a bit of why we're doing it, and to really encourage you, if you're a family uh, with children who are under 12, to come along and to join us. I think it's quite a well-known fact among Christian circles these days that the vast majority of people who follow Jesus as adults uh, become Christians before they're 18. The studies kind of vary in figures, but almost every study puts the figure at over 80% of people who follow Jesus in adult life make a first-time commitment to Jesus before they turn 18. For some reason, God has wired us that we are most responsive to him in that kind of part of our life. So it's so important that we are investing in our children and young people and are telling them the good news about Jesus. What studies also show is that the biggest influence and impact on children as to whether they develop a living faith in Jesus is not actually church involvement, it's their family. Parents, grandparents, wider family. And so we know the church is important and we as a church do our very utmost to serve all our under 12s. Every week we are teaching them and encouraging them to follow Jesus, showing them how good life with Jesus is. But really there's a limit to what we can do. In one and a half hours a week, there's a limit to what can be done. And actually you guys as parents, as grandparents, as wider family have the real power actually to uh, share how good Jesus is with their own people and to invite them to come alongside you as you follow him and to follow him for themselves. And so the we as a church actually can't do it on ourselves. We want to help you as families to do that. And that's why we're running this event. It's not just about having a good afternoon together. Actually, it's trying to equip you and help you as parents, grandparents, family to help your children come and follow Jesus. And I think this specific event, there are three particular purposes that I've got in mind as we're putting it together and the reason we're doing it. The first is we want to give you as families an opportunity to engage with God together. So we're going to be having some family worship. We're going to do interactive prayer activities and some teaching stuff about what it means to follow Jesus. It's a really easy way for you to just spend time with God together. So maybe you would have to be honest and you say you never really spend time with God as a family at home. This is a really easy way for you to do it. Everything you need will be given to you, will be guiding you through. All you need to do is get your tickets and come along. The second reason we're doing it is we want to help you to start conversations with your children and to have ideas of what you can do at home. So through the songs that we sing, the ways that we do kind of interactive prayer type things, you'll be able to pick up ways of talking to your kids about Jesus, praying at home, worshiping together at home. And also we want to help you start conversations. And at the heart of this praise party is a mini-series of I'm a Christian, get me out of here. We're going to have four contestants who are competing to win the prize of being a friend of Jesus and having eternal life with him. And each one has a different reason why they think they should get to be a friend of Jesus. And the whole point of this is to teach our children that actually to be a friend of Jesus is not about being kind person. It's not about going to church every week. It's not about having family who are Christians. It's about believing that Jesus died for us and choosing to follow him ourselves. 
And so that whole content bit, the teaching bit, will be a wonderful conversation starter for you to talk to your children about what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? And then the last reason we're doing it really is just we want you guys to have fun together. We want you to come and, as a family unit, enjoy having fun together. These studies which talk about the importance of family influence in children always emphasize the fact that the closer the relationship between the parent and the child, the more likely it is that a child will develop a faith in Jesus that lasts. So we just want you to come and have fun together and develop your relationship together. So please, let me encourage you. If you've got kids under 12 or grandkids, get booked in. Get your tickets. I'll be at the main entrance today, sending them. Get them online. Booking will close, we've heard, during this week because we need to know numbers. And just to clarify, the price of everything is included uh, in the cost of the ticket. So the ice cream bar, the resources, um, the kind of craft resources, all of that's included. So it's a good value afternoon out. It's going to be a really, really great time together. Let's get to the Bible stuff, because I do like the Bible stuff. We are currently uh, in the book of Acts, a book in the New Testament of the Bible that tells us about the first 30 years of the history of the church. And I want to look at Acts today, and I want to talk about stories. And I think pretty much everyone loves a good story. It's one of the things that children, as they grow up, they're kind of first engaged with. Young children love to sit and listen to a good story. And I think most of us would love to read or to watch or to listen to good stories. Stories can engage us and excite us. They inform us and teach us. They challenge us and they change us. And the kind of message I've got for you guys today is that if you're a Christian here today, you have a great story. You have an incredible story. But I think sometimes some of us don't really believe that. But today I want to try and convince you from what Acts shows us that you have got a great story. And I want to see how we can use our story well. And we're going to keep it really simple. We're going to look at Paul, the apostle, and how he tells his story. We're going to find one big point from what Paul says, how he tells his story. And then we're going to ask, how does that one big point help us as we think about our stories and we think about being disciples who follow Jesus and we think about partnering with God and going on mission with him? So Paul's story, Paul had this incredible life story, a story of kind of total and utter transformation. We read about it in the early chapters of Acts where he's actually called Saul. And at that point, he hates the church. He's persecuting the church. He hates Jesus. He hates Jesus' followers. He hates the fact that they claim that Jesus came back to life and that he's the Messiah, the one they'd all been waiting for. We're told that when Stephen was martyred, he's the first guy killed for being a Christian. Saul is there and he approves of Stephen's execution. Beginning of chapter 9, we're told that Saul, Paul, was going around breathing threats and murder against the Christians. And he would go around from town to town, rounding them up, carting them off to Jerusalem to persecute them. But then one day, Paul has an incredible counsel with Jesus. He's traveling to Damascus to find some more Christians to persecute. But Jesus turns up to him, uh, reveals himself to him. He He goes into the city, he meets a guy called Ananias, and he becomes a follower of Jesus. And this completely transforms his life. He goes from this kind of angry, violent man who's wanting to kill people to one who writes to churches and says things like, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul's story is one of total and utter transformation. And we kind of, that account there is from the early chapters of Acts, chapters 7 through to 9. But later in Acts, we hear the story two more times. And in these two times, it comes directly from the mouth of Paul himself. 
And we're going to focus on the one in chapter 22, when Paul is telling his story in Jerusalem. And this is right at the start of Paul's journey to Rome. So if you were here last week, Paul, our Paul, Paul Mann, shared the story of Paul the Apostle's journey to Rome. And this comes right at the start of that. Paul's just got back to Jerusalem, having been on the third missionary journey. And he goes into the temple. And it doesn't seem that he's doing anything other than just being in the temple. But some Jews from Asia recognize him. And they know the kind of things that he's been teaching and saying. And they wrongly think that he's brought a non-Jew into the temple and has defiled it. He's made it unclean. And so they start stirring up the people. They drive Paul out of the city. They start to want to stone him or want to kill him. But the Roman authorities hear what's happening. And they come along and they pull the people away and they take hold of Paul and they arrest him so they can find out what's going on. And they march Paul off to the barracks and they walk up the steps. But just before they're going to the barracks, Paul says, wait a minute, can I just address the people? Can I talk to this huge crowd that have followed us? And that's where we're going to pick up the story as Paul addresses the crowd. So this is Acts 22, starting from verse 3, Paul speaking. I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia. But brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way, Christianity, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way... And drew near to Damascus. About noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise. And go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me. And standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And at this point, the crowd butt in and start hurling insults at him because they're so shocked at the idea that God might welcome Gentiles, non-Jews, into his people. But I want to focus today on how Paul tells his story. You see, we've already seen that Paul has this incredible story of utter transformation. He goes from this angry, violent guy to our love-filled, gentle encourager. And yet, as we read the story, I don't think Paul focuses on that. 
He mentions both half. He mentions persecuting people, killing Christians, and he mentions being sent to take the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles, to tell people about Jesus. But he doesn't seem to stress the fact that he's been transformed. For Paul, actually, his transformation wasn't actually at the heart of the story. A life change wasn't what Paul saw in his story and what God had done for him. The heart of Paul's story is that he's been forgiven for his sins. Verse 16, we see it. I think it's the the kind of pinnacle of what Paul says. We read that Ananias says to Paul, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. At the center of Paul's story is not actually the transformation of himself from this miserable guy to a loving guy. Actually, the center of Paul's story, as he tells it, is the forgiveness of sins. He knew that the real issue was that he was a sinner, deserving of the judgment and the wrath, the condemnation of God. But now he found that in Jesus, there was forgiveness on offer, freely as a gift. You know, the gospel isn't about life transformation. The gospel is about heart transformation. It's not about getting a better life. Actually, it's about the forgiveness of sins. And this is true for all of us. This is important for all of us. At the heart of the gospel, the good news that God speaks to every one of us, is the promise of forgiveness of sins. And elsewhere, Paul talks about this. Paul writes a lot of the letters that come later in the New Testament. And when he writes to the church in Rome, he kind of summarizes this idea of the core of the gospel being forgiveness of sins. He tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that word sin is about missing the mark. It's like there's a target with a bullseye and you've got to shoot every arrow to reach the bullseye. But actually, pretty much every arrow we meet, we, uh, we shoot, falls short. They land on the floor. We never reach the target. We fall short, he says, of the glory of God. There's this glory of God in creation, which is meant to lead us to live a certain way. It's meant to lead us to love him and to worship him and to thank him. But actually, every single one of us, every human who ever lives, falls short. Every arrow we shoot to try and reach that target actually falls down in front of it. But then he continues, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood to be received by faith. Paul says that in Jesus, there's an offer of forgiveness. He says that we become justified in Jesus. To be justified means that God looks at you as if you've done everything you should have done and nothing that you should not have done. And it comes all through what Jesus done, through the redemption. Jesus has paid the price for us to be freed from our sins, for us, for us to be forgiven. Forgiveness of sins is at the heart of the gospel. And back in Acts, we see this when Paul tells his story the next time in Acts 26, in front of another bunch of important people. He talks about the call that he's been given. He says he's been called to open the Gentiles' eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in God. Forgiveness of sins is at the heart of the gospel. And we see this all throughout Luke Acts. Luke and Acts are this two-part work. Luke tells us about the uh, life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Acts tells us about the start of the church after Jesus has gone to be with God the Father. And at the very end of Luke's gospel, the last thing pretty much that Jesus says to his followers is that they're to go and they're to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins. And then we turn to Acts and Acts 2 in Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people. Peter stands and gives this great sermon to the crowd around. And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We could pick out other examples time and time again. The center of the gospel 
is the promise of forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins at the heart of the gospel, that means that it's the heart of any one of our stories. Any one of us who's a follower of Jesus, forgiveness of sins at the heart of our story. That means that all of us as Christians have a great story because we all have this story of forgiveness. It means that at their core, all our stories are actually the same. And as I was thinking about this this week, it reminded me of a series of books called That's Not My. I don't know if any of you are familiar with these books. They're a series of books for children, uh, very young children uh, and kind of toddlers. And every story is the same thing. It's always that's not my something, it's that's not my the other. And it's just basically the same story with a different cover. And I can read you a couple to show you this. So first off, we start with that's not my puppy. That's not my puppy. Its tail is too fluffy. That's not my puppy. Its paws are too bumpy. That's not my puppy. Its collar is too shiny. Or we can try a different one. That's not my pirate. That's not my pirate. His hat is too soft. That's not my pirate. Her shirt is too silky. That's my pirate. His beard is so fluffy. And you can read any one of these books. They all tell the same story. And then I was thinking, I've read a few of these to my friend's kids. I know a few of them. I thought, I wonder how many there are. So I did some research. There are 49 of these books. They all tell exactly the same story, just with a different word put in. And actually, to be honest, after you read a couple of the That's Not My books, they get a bit repetitive. They get a bit boring. But you know what? The story that we all share... The story, which even with the outside looks a bit different, for us as Christians, is always the same. It never gets boring. It never gets old. It never gets repetitive. It is the most incredible, the most unbelievable, the most wonderful story you could ever, ever have. Every Christian story is a story of the forgiveness of sins. Now You might be sitting there thinking, that's great, Andrew, but it's quite obvious. We probably knew that a little while ago. But actually, I want to pick out for us now a few reasons why that's really important, why that makes a difference, why realizing that that is at the center of our story helps us as disciples, as followers of Jesus, and it helps us as we seek to partner with God in his mission. So let's think first about the gospel of forgiveness and discipleship. The first thing is you've got to know if you're a Christian here today, you have got a great story. It's so easy, isn't it, as a Christian to look at other people and to hear their stories and think, man, I wish I had a story like that. Their story is really amazing. Their story is really impressive. We look at someone like the Apostle Paul and we think, oh, I wish I had that kind of life transformation in my story. And we see those kind of really dramatic ones, the externally dramatic stuff as the pinnacle of Christian stories. But actually what this tells us is that we all have a brilliant story. Whatever the kind of externals might look like, however interesting or not interesting you might think the externals of your story are, you have a great story. Because you were deserving of death. You were deserving of eternal punishment. You were deserving of being separated from God for all of eternity. You had nothing in yourself to commend yourself to God, nothing you could do to try and make it right, nothing you could do to get closer to him. But then the God who created everything, the God who sustains everything, the God who rules over everything, took on human flesh for you and lived and breathed and walked on the earth for you and then was executed on a Roman cross for you, taking upon himself the punishment that you deserved. And now purely by trusting in his promise of forgiveness of sins, receiving that gift by stretching out your hand of faith and saying, I'll take that gift, 
you now get to experience forgiveness of all your sins for all time and an eternity with him. You've got a great story if you're a Christian here today. And, you know, realizing this ends that kind of story envy of, I wish I had a story like them. No, friends, you've got an amazing story if you're a Christian following Jesus today. That's the first thing this tells us. It tells us that as disciples, you have, we have got a great story. The second thing is that it tells us if the central promise of the gospel is the forgiveness of sins. That means the central promise of the gospel isn't that we're going to have a better life. And that's really good to know because that helps us get prepared for the realities of life. Too often we think of the gospel as a recipe for making life a bit better. And we hear these stories sometimes, a wonderful transformation. And we think what the gospel is really about is if I follow Jesus, my life will be easier and better. And then we face the reality of pain and suffering in life. We find that every day we have to get up for a job we hate, which feels like it's sucking the life from us. We find that we have kids and we don't sleep properly for five years, ten years. We find that a friend or a family member suddenly dies, is killed. We find that cancer comes into our body, tries to attack us and tries to kill us. If we think that the gospel is about having a better life, when all these things happen, we start to question, well, is the gospel not true? And we start to let go of Jesus. And if we think that our lives are meant to get better when we follow Jesus, when tough times come... Actually, we might turn our back on Jesus. And I'm sure that really sadly, many of us will know people who, when the going got tough, they got going. They gave up on Jesus. That's because too often we believe a false gospel that following Jesus is about life getting better. Actually, I'm afraid, guys, God promised us trouble and tribulation and suffering when we follow him. Jesus said to his disciples in John's gospel, one of the last things he says to them is, in this world, you will have tribulation. And this is a really important scene in the middle of Mark's gospel when they first realize who Jesus is, that he's this Christ, this promised one. And Jesus starts to reveal to them what's going to happen, that he's going to be handed over to the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. He's going to be executed. He's going to suffer and die. And Peter, one of the disciples, takes him aside and rebukes him. He says, don't be stupid, Jesus. How can you think that's going to happen? You're the Messiah. But Jesus turns to Peter and Jesus rebukes Peter. Jesus says to Peter, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Denying yourself and taking up a cross and following is not meant to be comfortable. Actually, to follow Jesus is to follow him on the road of suffering. The path that Jesus walked is the road of suffering. And the call to follow Jesus is to share in that road, to follow after him. The gospel doesn't promise us a better or a kind of an easier life, but it promises us the most important thing. It promises us that that core problem of sins can be dealt with. There can be forgiveness of sins. It promises us ultimate deliverance and salvation into a world where all those troubles and sufferings and difficulties are over. But it promises us a hard life. And we need to realize what's central to the gospel. Or actually, when life gets tough, we're just going to give up and run away from Jesus. I was talking to a friend this week, and she pointed me to a fantastic quote which summarizes this from a guy called Spurgeon, who was a preacher in the 19th century. He says, when a young believer has first to suffer, he thinks that he cannot be a child of God. For, he says, if I were a child of God, would I be like this? What fine dreams some of us have when we are just converted. We fancy that we're going to sail straight away to heaven and to have a prosperous voyage all the way. The wind is always to blow fairly for us. There's never to be a rough wave. No storm cloud is to hover over the ship all the day long. And if there are nights, the stars will be so brilliant that it will be as bright as day. Oh, silly creatures that we are. 
if we dream thus foolishly. We know not what we are born to in our second birth, for as a man is born to trouble by his first birth, when he's born a second time, he's born to a double share of trouble. As he shall have new joys, so he shall also have a long list of new sorrows. The gospel isn't a recipe for a better, easier, more comfortable life. There is, though, a wonderful promise of help and comfort in the difficult times. Jesus promises to be with us. He promises that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He promises us we can actually find peace and contentment, even in the most difficult and distressing of times. That moment when Jesus says, in this world you'll have trouble, he's just promised them that in them they can have peace. Even though they're guaranteed to have trouble, actually in Jesus, in the midst of that trouble, they can have, they can know peace. If we want to be faithful disciples of Jesus, people following him, it's vital that we see the central promise of the gospel. It's not actually that life gets easier. It's the forgiveness of sins. It's the thing that really matters. Because then we're able to follow Jesus even in those tough times. So that's the gospel of forgiveness and discipleship. What about the gospel of forgiveness and mission? How does understanding that the forgiveness of sins at the core of every one of our stories help us as we seek to tell other people about Jesus to invite them to follow him? Well, here's point number one. You might recognize it. You've got a great story. However dramatic or undramatic your story might seem on the outside, you have got a wonderful story. And sometimes we think that only people with those dramatic external stories of transformation can use their stories when they're telling people about Jesus. We think, oh, my story's no good when I'm trying to talk to my friends or my family about Jesus. Actually, I think if you haven't got that kind of dramatic external stuff, you've got an advantage. If you've got a story like that, you've got lots of distractions from the core story of forgiveness of sins. Actually, if your story, you think it's very mundane, you've got a wonderful opportunity to talk about the core, to talk about what God has truly done for you. The first thing is we've got a great story. The second thing is then that we've got to use our story well. You see, I worry that often our story-based mission and evangelism actually creates the problem we've just spoken about under discipleship. It's very easy for us to present the gospel to people as if it is follow Jesus and life will get better and easier. Everything will be rosy. Well, actually, that's not what the gospel is about. We need to use our stories to point people to the core story. So we're not saying my life was rubbish, now my life is good. Actually, we're talking about the core problem of sins that God has now dealt with. And this doesn't, I don't think, mean we don't use our stories of life change as we seek to tell people about Jesus. It means that we use them well. We use them carefully to point to the core of the gospel. And did you notice that's what Paul did in Acts 22? He's got this incredible story and he talks about it, but he doesn't make a big song and dance of it. But at the core of it, the heart of it, is he's showing people he needed forgiveness of sins. And then we're showing people in turn that the same thing is true for every one of us. And this also means that if your story isn't one of amazing life transformation, it means if you're a follower of Jesus, and actually you're just in a really rubbish place right now, life is just difficult or painful, actually you have a wonderful opportunity to share the goodness of God even in the midst of real difficulty, to share how actually that core promise is still true, to share how even though life might not get easier, he comforts you and encourages you and helps you to keep on going. So as we go out to four venues over the coming months and years, and you'll know, as we've said it time and time again, the reason we're doing that is in order to go on mission. There are thousands of people in Hastings, Bexhill, St. Leonard's, right across St. country who've never heard the good news about Jesus. They've never heard this gospel of the forgiveness of sins. And the reason that we're going to four venues is that we can reach more of them. 
And there are going to be many wonderful opportunities for us to use our own stories of what God has done in our life in order to tell people about Jesus and to invite them to come and join us and to come and follow him as well. But to do that, we've got to use our stories well. We've got to use the core of our stories to invite people to follow Jesus. Can I invite the band to head back up? There are different ways that we need to respond to this truth today. One of them is just that we need to know that this is true for us. You need to know that if you're a Christian here today, you have an incredible story. Whatever you might have thought in the past, it means that story envy needs to die. That whole thing of, I wish I had a story like them, or did you hear that? My story is so boring in comparison. Actually, that just needs to die. And we need to recognize God has done incredible things in my life. I have an amazing story to tell. We need to know our story, and then we need to use it. And one of the great things to do, and one of the things you could do if you're in midweek life this week, is to think about how can you use your story to point people to the core story. When people ask you, so why do you follow Jesus? And what's this whole Christian thing doing? Why do you bother going to church? How can you use those opportunities to point people to the core story that God has forgiven your sins and that he offers the same sort of forgiveness to them? Another way some of us might need to respond this morning is maybe you're here today and this isn't actually yet your story. You've not turned to Jesus to receive forgiveness of sins. Well, today, friend, there is incredibly good news. Jesus can rewrite any one of our stories, however awful they might be. So they tell his wonderful story of forgiveness. The Bible says what we have to do is we have to repent. That means we realize we're walking away from God. We're rebelling against him. We're offending him. And so we choose to stop. We choose to turn 180 degrees and to walk towards God, trusting in his promise to forgive us and his promise to receive us. You won't be guaranteed a better life, an easier life. Actually, you'll be guaranteed troubles and difficulties and suffering. But there'll be forgiveness of sins. There'll be help in the difficulties. And there'll be the sure and certain hope of an eternity with God in utter perfection. But also the final response for all of us today is we need to worship. The forgiveness of sins is at the core of the gospel. It's therefore also at the core of why we worship. The core of why we come before God and we express our love and our thanks and our gratitude and our devotion to him is because he has forgiven our sins. He has totally rewritten our stories so that we have a wonderful, wonderful story. He's giving us the best story and that is a reason for us to worship him and give him our all. And we've got a good chunk of time to do that now. Can I invite you to stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. And then Paul and the guys will lead us as we worship and celebrate and thank God for the wonderful story that he's written into our lives. Father God, we thank you for this awesome truth. That for anyone who's turned away from their sins and is choosing to follow you, to trust in your promise of forgiveness, you have rewritten our story to tell your wonderful, wonderful story. Thank you that we can stand before you. And even though we know that countless times we failed, we've rebelled against you, we've offended you, we know that we can stand as those whose sins have been forgiven. Every debt has been wiped away. The slate is completely clean. You hold none of it against us. You declare there's no condemnation for us. We have been justified, having done everything we should have done and nothing that we should not have done. We thank you so much for that glorious story. And I pray right now, would you work that deep into our hearts? I pray where we have had story envy and we think that other people have been giving a better story than we have. I pray that right now, story envy would die and we recognize the wonder of the story that you have given us. I pray you'd help us to know our stories and to use our stories. Would you give us opportunities to use our stories to point people to the core story? 
And right now, Holy Spirit, would you come, would you work in our hearts, would you stir us and move us to express our love and our devotion and our thanksgiving and our gratitude to you, the one who's forgiving our sins, you, the one who's rewritten our stories for all time. Come, Holy Spirit, come to your work, we pray. Amen.